Well, uh, I am uh, wearing a new item this week. I'm wearing my new pair of varifocals. The first time I've had to have a pair of glasses like this, um, as some of you will, will know. I only started wearing glasses at all just over a year ago. And uh, it feels a little bit like a rite of passage in some ways. Um, the last few years, it seems uh, quite a number of people who are of a similar age to me seem to have gone through that process of having lived their lives um, getting used to the fact that uh, they have no trouble seeing at all. That's certainly been my experience. And suddenly beginning to find that that is no longer the case. And that I can't see things as clearly as I used to and that it was time to make a trip to the opticians. So it has been a little bit weird over the last uh, 10 days since I picked these up. Um, I've had one or two headaches just getting used to them. I guess some of you can probably relate to that. But it is a wonderful thing, can I tell you this morning, to be able to, to look down at my notes and see them clearly just in front of me, and then to be able to glance up and see Rob Frearson at the back of church um, in sparkling HD vision sitting there behind the laptop. And I say that to you because as we come to Isaiah chapter 29 this morning, um, God is asking us, if you like, how is our spiritual vision? And in particular, we need to be able to see what is right in front of us, but we also need to be able to see into God's future, uh, into the distance, and not just what is uh, around us in the world and immediately in front of our noses. Um, are we able to see the present in the light of the future, which is out there? Uh, so we've got this chapter here. It's a chapter really about listening to God's voice, hearing it and understanding it so that we're able to live our lives in the light of that, with confidence that we know what he is up to, because he's revealed it. Um, the background, as you probably remember, is that we're in the 8th century BC. Uh, we're in Jerusalem, capital of the kingdom of Judah, where Hezekiah is uh, coming to the throne, uh, following, I guess we can call it, the disaster of his father's reign. Um, Hezekiah is going to be faced with very much the same sorts of challenges as his father Ahaz was. And that we are too. Different setting, different circumstances. But we, like him, have to answer that question. Who are we going to trust? Where are we going to put our faith? Will we stand firm on God's promises? Or will we trust in human strength, um, human alliances? Uh, what's your core, Hezekiah, is going to be the theme of these next few chapters. And as we're reminded of God's promises and of his faithfulness to them, what we've got here and in these chapters that are following are very much words to strengthen our faith in him. Uh, and as we see God turning the hearts of the people back to him, as uh, they humble themselves and as he humbles them, these are verses to remind us of who we are as we stand in the presence of the holy God of heaven and earth. So what do we need to be able to live as God's people in God's world in 2021? Well, as a starting point for our series, Isaiah 29 suggests three things that we need. And the first one, very simply, is that we need to learn to be people who trust the promises of the Lord. Looking at those first few verses, 1 to 8. We need to be people who learn to trust God's promises. Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled, says Isaiah. Um, this is about Jerusalem. That's what Ariel is. It's a bit of a play on words. Apparently, uh, Ariel also sounds like the Hebrew for altar hearth there in verse 2. In other words, this is the place where God's holy fire burns. Uh, the Lord is sending an army, verse 3. 
Uh, he's actually in the midst of the invading army that's coming to get his people, the Assyrian army, uh, which has already taken out many of Judah's fortified cities and is uh, looking like it's going to be camped out to besiege Jerusalem. Uh, he's coming to humble his rebellious people. Verse 4, they will be brought low. They're very solemn words that this chapter starts with. But as so often in Isaiah, hot on the heels of God's warning of judgment comes the promise of his rescue. And there's a sudden change of focus, isn't there, in verses 5 to 8. Suddenly it's their enemies who will become like dust and be blown away by the wind, by the Lord. Verse 7, this terrifying army camped on your borders, well, it will be gone. It will be like you've woken up from a dream and it's just not there anymore. Well, sneak preview. If you read chapter 37, if you glance ahead to that, you will see that this is exactly, exactly what comes to pass. We'll get to it in a few weeks' time. But when Jerusalem is surrounded, when it's left with apparently no hope, rescue comes, and it comes by a pure miracle from the Lord. I'm sure some of you will know the story of what happened. It is exactly as God promises will happen. And the point for us, I think, very simply, or at least one of the points, is that we can trust God when he makes promises. He is very gracious because in the Bible, in history, again and again, he says what is going to happen, he says what he's going to do, and then he does it. And so we're able to look back because God doesn't just make these grand promises, he keeps them again and again when we read his word. And we need to hold on to this when we are facing trouble, uh, when we can't understand what's going on in our lives or in the world, when we don't know how to handle it. We need to have this spiritual vision to be able to see God's future so that we can understand our present, where we find ourselves now, and so that we can trust him in it. Back in verse 1, it must have felt like pretty much nothing was happening there in Jerusalem. Uh, for the people who live there. Add year to year, Isaiah says. Let your cycle of festivals come and go. Now, what's God up to? Well, it looks like nothing. Nothing's changing. It all just carries on the same, and we find ourselves in difficulty and under pressure. What is God doing? Maybe you sometimes feel like that. Some of us have got cause to ask those kinds of questions in 2021, haven't we? Where is the Lord? What is he up to? Maybe they're personal things. Maybe it's the bigger things in the world which make you wonder where hope is to be found. Maybe it's uh, the fear of global warming, uh, the, the plastic pollution in the oceans, the mental health crisis in the midst of lockdown. Things which make us wonder, well, is it ever going to be okay again? Is it ever going to be normal? And at times like this, whether we're facing the Assyrian army on our doorstep or whether we're facing a global pandemic, that's when we need the spiritual sight to be able to see what God has said he will do and to put our trust in him. Now, many of us are doing the prayer course this term, I know, which is a really great thing. I want to say God's promises are powerful fuel for prayer. We need to hear them and we need to trust them. That's the first thing that Isaiah says we need here in chapter 29. Um, secondly then, and this is probably the biggest one, probably the most important one, in this chapter, is our need to have a soft heart towards God and towards his voice, to hear what he says and to let it mould us and change us. We need a soft heart. We need humility towards the Lord. 
What was the biggest problem facing the people of Jerusalem in Isaiah's day? Well, it was obvious, wasn't it? Everyone could see it. It's Assyria. There's this massive army. They're parking their tanks on our lawn and they're pointing the barrels at our city. That's the problem, clearly. We might say, well, it's COVID, isn't it? It's hospitals which are under pressure. It's schools which have been closed for months. It's the uncertainty about what's going to happen in the future. Isaiah says to the people, no, it's not Assyria. You're not at risk because Assyria is too strong for you. He says, you are at risk because your hearts are hard against God. And you're going to bring judgment down on yourselves. Now, I don't want to say that the position that we find ourselves in is the same as the people of God, Israel, 2,700 years ago. It's not. But at the same time, I think there is a word from the Lord for 2021 there, as there was for 700 BC. And the word is that we need to remember that the biggest issue that we face is not the physical danger out there, not wanting to belittle that in any way and the, the struggles that many of us are facing, But our biggest issue is and always has been our attitude towards the Lord. Because just look at some of the results of being hard-hearted towards him that we see here in our chapter. Uh, Verse 9, it's like the people are drunk. They're so spiritually drunk, they can't see straight. They can't see what's going on. Verse 10, because of their attitude, that puts them under the judgment of God. And so he is sealing their eyes and their minds to what he is saying. Tragically, in verses 11 and 12, the book of the Lord, the book of God's word, is closed to them because of their unbelief. So uh, they've got Isaiah in their presence, this great prophet. He's speaking to them. He's telling them what God says, and they they can't hear it. They can't read it. If they can read it, they can't understand it or make sense of what it means for them. And the reminder for God's people in whatever year we find ourselves, is that we need to be coming to his word, we need to be listening to his voice with humility, with soft hearts, or we are lost. The Lord says, verse 13, these people come near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules. You may recognize those words because Jesus quotes them in Matthew 15 when he's warning the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. Because their religion looked great. They knew how to hold a a good service. Their worship sounded amazing. But it was show. They had hard hearts towards the Lord. They thought they were clever. They were pleased with themselves and how they carried themselves, but they weren't humble before God. And God says in verse 14, I'm not having this. The wisdom of the wise, it will perish. The intelligence of the intelligence will vanish. Again, you might recognize words like that because they're picked up by St. Paul in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians where he's making it clear that Christian ministry is not about being impressive or about being clever. It's about Jesus, the servant king, who looks weak and foolish as he dies on a cross. You hide your plans from the Lord, Isaiah says. You're like a pot criticizing the potter who made it. How ridiculous is that? It's sheer arrogance when what you need is humility. That was their greatest need, their biggest issue. It's ours too. What we need is a growing heart dependence on God. 
A, a prayer course is only as good as the prayer life that it generates. And may it make a difference to our relationship with him day by day. Sometimes God's people do need a time of humbling. Hezekiah was certainly about to get that. A time of recognizing that we're out of our depth so that we throw ourselves back on the Lord's mercy and seek his help and his face. Maybe we need a dose of this before we try and plant a new congregation, before we uh, put the first brick in place to build a new cafe, before we start any new ministry that we are doing. Because we're always, only ever, one step away from becoming self-reliant, self-confident, instead of listening for God, being soft-hearted towards him, waiting to see what he will say. We need soft hearts to his word, to his voice. Lord, give us those soft hearts. Uh, And then thirdly and briefly, we therefore need to make sure that our lives now, our lives in the present, are shaped by what God has shown us of the future. Present lives shaped by the future. Verses 17 to the end. Uh, And these verses are great reminders of what God is, is doing here. If you look, verse 18, he says, out of the darkness. That's the darkness of verse 11. The blind are going to see again. So those eyes that are closed will be open. Verse 19, the humble are going to rejoice. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. See, God is in the business of refining his people. Sometimes he humbles his people. Sometimes it's painful, but he's doing it for their benefit because he loves them and he wants to make them like shining gold. One of the fears that... I've heard expressed a few times um, during these COVID times is uh, the the fear of what the church might look like when it's all over. Uh, When we're finally able to come back into church, people say things like, "Well, well, what if some people don't come back? Well, maybe some people won't. Maybe one of the things that God is doing in this time is that work of sifting and refining. And maybe there are some who used to come to church Uh, maybe St. Luke's, but just talking generally about the church, who won't be there when we all regather, whenever it is that we're able to do that. Maybe they came to church not because their hearts were soft towards God and trusted in the Lord, but more out of a kind of religious habit. And what's happened these past few months has somehow broken that habit. Um, That's what God does. Not claiming any kind of prophetic insight there. And uh, one of the things that I'm praying regularly is for those who I haven't seen for a long time and haven't had much contact with. But we need to remember that the church is always a mixed bunch of people. Remember Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds. Well, verses 20 and 21 here, God knows our hearts. He knows the ruthless, the mockers, the false accusers, those whose hearts are hard towards him. And Isaiah says they will disappear. But in the last few verses, this is what the Lord says. To those who are the children of Abraham, the descendants of Jacob. Again, it's something which Jesus spoke about, isn't it? Verse 22, no longer will they be ashamed. When they see them among their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob. They will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who will gain understanding. Great verses to spend some time dwelling on. Those are the promises of God to his people who he is refining. There may be many things in the world that we look at and we can't understand them. We can't see them clearly from our perspective. 
But what God has given us is clear sight of what the future holds. He has revealed himself in his word. And he's pointed us to his son who he loves, who has come to rescue us. And so our starting point, even when we have lives that are full of questions, is to focus on the certainties that God has given us so that we might live lives now, even when we can't really see much beyond the next step that we need to take. God is raising up his people. He is at work among his people. His servant king is coming. So let's pray that these promises will shape our lives and let's pray that they will shape our church too. Amen.